now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gon' be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. Your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year, band of 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie, I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hay with a Brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? <laughs> Aziz. Hey, Jay, I, I see you, man. She. Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, joined, as always, by the kid, the god himself, Jay King, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic. And this is our you first podcast. Legend. I forgot legend. I also forgot to call myself professional sports fan. You know what? We're in off-season mode now. We're uh, relaxing a little bit. We don't have to be on edge because the Celtics are definitely not playing in the NBA Finals. And so this is our first crack at trying to figure out what they will do this off-season. And frankly, there's not much they can do. Um the first uh, decision, I think, really comes down to Gordon Hayward. Uh, he has a choice to do nothing and make $34 million or test free agency while coming off a, a grade three ankle strain. So, Jay, what do you think Gordon Hayward's going to do in this situation? I would guess that because of the money uncertainty, because most of the teams with cap space, or projected cap space, if cap space even exists in this post-COVID world, will be young teams that aren't really ready to win and probably aren't a good fit for Gordon Hayward. It just makes a lot of sense for him to opt in. $34.7 million, I believe, is the exact number. And that's a lot of money. I don't think the money's out there to get him to turn that down if he wants to go after long-term security after some of the injury issues he's dealt with, then maybe, but it just seems more likely to me that he comes back, plays on that $34.7 million number, and then the Celtics have to figure out, do they keep the core together long-term and end up with an extremely expensive roster because Jalen Brown's already on an extension Jason Tatum will be on an extension, presumably. Kemba Walker already has his max deal. So the, the the core is going to get super, super expensive. Obviously, the the determination on that is up to ownership. And Gordon Hayward is really important to this team, but they need to decide whether it's worth it to them to spend oodles, oodles of luxury tax to keep this group together long term. Let's say Gordon is open to the idea of not taking that, like the 34, and he wants to get a long-term deal. He's, he's got so many babies at home, so many babies. He just wants that long-term security. Is that something the Celtics should be 
interested in not like I have no idea what the the frame of that contract would be, but he's a all star caliber caliber player. Caliber. It's going to be caliber player. Uh, he's gonna be command some sort of money. You mentioned how much money they're going to start paying Jason Tatum when presume and we can talk about his extension later. But is signing Gordon Hayward for a like less money per year, but for like maybe four years? even something that the Celtics should be interested in, because I'm leaning a a no on that one. Why do you lean no? Because it basically takes away all roster flexibility from you for those next however many years you're signing for uh, him for, and he's a very solid player, but how much money do you want to give to your fourth best option? We talked a lot about the Celtics bench depth and or lack thereof this year. How much of that is the fact that you're paying – Gordon Hayward, like that but percentage it, of the salary cap. Here's the thing: even if even if they lose Gordon Hayward, they're not going to have money to spend to go out and get, say, two bench guys. It's in not year like, one, it's not like in you're year just, one. But then you have some guys coming off the books. You don't have to pay Ennis Cantor anymore. I just like why are you locking yourself into Gordon Hayward for the next three or four seasons? Is my it's more of a long term thing. Like yes, they're going to be in cap hell no matter what if they sign Gordon Hayward to a that one-year deal or to a multiple-year deal, but I think it just gets them out of it uh, earlier. I could be wrong. I do not know all the cap machinations. I'm looking at uh, Ryan Burdoni Danger Cart's uh, sheets right now and trying to figure it out, but it just doesn't seem like locking into Gordon Hayward. I'm not going to – like. there's a real strong, I feel like, thing on Celtics Twitter to call him injury-prone where he's gotten to just entirely insane ankle – injuries that are unlucky um but he's also kind of an older player on the like i would say latter half of his career i don't like i still think he's a very effective player the back nine I, we'll go with back I, nine yeah he's on the back nine um but it just makes sense to me in terms of roster construction if you're going to be paying your tatum and brown max contracts also you have kemba hey uh, kemba walker on the books for a number of more years just does it worth it to pay, just in terms of roster construction, another guy probably upwards of $20 million? Well, here, here's the the thing. I think the Celtics, the way their roster is built, they would be in a perfect world. They would probably want to shift some of their resources toward finding a bigger center, right? Like, Like they have a ton of wings. Their five best players are all – perimeter players in a perfect world you don't want that you'd, you'd want to find some way to to get a center to be in your top five whether that's move gordon hayward for center x or whatever the case may be i don't know if that perfect world exists i think it would the celtics would be hard pressed to find anybody better than gordon hayward for that role because when you look at Gordon Hayward did this year, and I know the playoff series was disappointing after he came back from ankle sprain and clearly wasn't himself, but the guy averaged 18, six and four, whatever it was, 17, six and four on awesome, awesome shooting efficiency. He was super good in his role. He could run second units. He's six, seven and, strong and switchy he allowed them to do a lot of things and 
can you upgrade from that? I think it would be really, really tough long-term to upgrade from that. I think the the question for the Celtics ownership has to be, is it worth it for your fourth option to be making that much money that you're going deep into the luxury tax? And then beyond that, how can you replace him, right? Like, how do you get more wing depth if if you lose Gordon Hayward? Because last year, even with Gordon Hayward, perimeter depth was a, an issue. And Brad Wanamaker is a free agent. Romeo Lankford, in his second year, he's he's already expected to miss part of his second year. What is Romeo Lankford going to be? What what do the Celtics expect out of him? I don't think that there's anyone on the roster to kind of replace what Hayward does. If he opts in, I do think trading him should at least be a discussion, but I don't know what that would look like, whether they would. Do you think they would do that? Like after well, here's, his... a, here's the thing, like if, if you're worried about cap hell, then trading Hayward in the last year of his contract is could be counterproductive. Like, do you get guys on longer term deals? I, so uh, there's there are a lot of layers to that conversation. Um, but I mean, I think it's really important to keep in mind that Gordon Hayward is good. For a, fourth op- <laughs> for a fourth option, he's really good. One of the better fourth options across the league, given his efficiency in production. And if if you lose that, then you're putting more onto Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's plate. And, and maybe that's ultimately a, a good thing in the end. But Gordon Hayward, not, and on top of all the production – he was a great player to have around those guys because like Kemba, he was cool with kind of just chilling in the background while those guys took took over the, the franchise. And so I, I think there are a lot of layers to it. And then the other layer to it is what does Hayward want, right? Because I think it's possible that Hayward looks around at the Celtics, understands he's going to be the fourth option that – Kemba Walker is a better offensive player that, than he is. That J- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are also above him in the pecking order. And this is not what he signed on for. He signed on to be basically probably the second banana behind Kyrie Irving and like Al Horford, part of that big three, and being like a main feature role. Like I don't think he anticipated two guys surpassing him and then them bringing in another guy. So that's a good point. Maybe he wants more that more shine. Yeah, and I I think that's possible i i think that like he definitely came in and like you said he thought he was going to be the guy and and it just hasn't worked out like that for a long list of reasons but like if if the celtics think that even if he opts in he's going to leave in the future there's a pretty good chance that he would leave then that makes the decision for them easier and and they'll have to move on from him some way, but yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot to consider with that Gordon Hayward thing, and I think that is the biggest question mark to me for their future. And the thing that's tough about trading him, and I don't even know what the like a good trade for him would be if you like one, he indicates that he probably like wants a different role or like wants to go to another team. Um, 
But with the Celtics being in the tax, it makes it harder to just do any kind of basic trade constructions. Um, look at me acting like I know this stuff. But it's like normally if you're not in the tax, you can trade salaries in there, like within 175% in terms of matching. But when you're in the tax, Are you only- reading Danger Card Story straight from it right now? I'm uh, recently read Danger Card Story, and now I'm just processing it. Normally, you can uh, basically, uh, when you're in the tax, you have much less flexibility in terms of salary matching. And so if you're going to have a trade for Gordon Hayward, you have to have someone who's much closer to his $30 million in salary. So you're going to have to get probably multiple players coming back. It just makes things more difficult. Like you said, ideally, if you're trading Gordon Hayward, you'd you'd want a starting five and then a wing player just to fill out the roster. I don't know where that exists. Uh, Jared Weiss from The Athletic, which you can get for only $1 a month if you go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable, $1 a month. Uh, But he's reporting that Oladipo and Miles Turner want out of Indiana. Um, Miles Turner is certainly a large man. I don't know if he necessarily is good. That's just one man's opinion. But um, other than that, I don't know like what it's really hard to find talented bigs. Like there, there's a reason they're so valuable is because uh, once you grow over to be like taller than six, nine, it seems to be incredibly rare to have a kind of like talent uh, that kind of is needed for the Celtics roster. Like they, you can't just play with a traditional um, like kind of plotting big man, like Canner. you need, like it feels like they need an active guy who can pass the ball a lot. I don't know if miles Turner is that dude, I've never really been impressed with him um, when the Celtics have gone up against him. He seems like uh, he's not a back-to-the-basket type guy. He's pretty decent shooting from three, but I don't know. He's all right. I just don't know if he's like that much better or makes the team that much more dynamic. Um, so what are your thoughts on like possible trade options if they do decide to trade Hayward? By the way, this is going to bug me unless I point it out. Gordon Hayward's option is thirty-four point two million, not thirty-four point seven million. I was going to correct you when I was looking at Danger Cart's uh, thing, and for people who don't know who Danger Cart is, I feel like we reference him a lot. Uh, he writes for Celtics Hub. He's just a guy who works in insurance who just knows the salary cap better than anyone else. He's at Danger Cart on Twitter, or he can go to his blog, DangerC.Art, which is a brilliant <laughs> URL. Um, He'll walk you through a lot of the CBA stuff that, um, frankly, Jay and I, well, I won't speak for Jay. Frankly, and I just don't know. I used to know when I played a lot of NBA 2K and like they had a, um, you had to figure out those things for the salary cap, but I'm just not with it on the details. But uh, you're right. Gordon Hayward only makes $34.2 million, but still, um, if you were to trade him away, like what, I don't know what's out there in the trade market. Uh, for kind of bigs that would find a fill in his role. Yeah. And the other part about it is he makes enough money that it's actually tough to construct deals because the Celtics would have to take back, you know, a hefty chunk. A hefty large large chunk. chunk. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that's just another layer to it all. Um, I mean, you, you hear about like the Steven Adams, Steven Steven Adams, Adams. I love Steven Adams. He's one of my favorite people in the league. He's hilarious. He's from New Zealand. I don't know if he makes any sense with this Celtics roster. He just clogs up the lane and like, it just doesn't seem to make, he just doesn't fit like I'm like a big plotting, just guy who sets picks. I just don't think he makes sense in 
the modern NBA. Like it just doesn't, that's not what the Celtics are. They feel like the Celtics are at their best when they're playing five out. But th- think of how well Aaron Baines played for the Celtics. Was hey. Aaron like, he was great on defense. Was he like, did he really like do that much for them on the offensive end? Other than that one series where he was knocking down all those threes. He was a good backup big. He was like, I don't know. And that that's part of the conversation too, right? Is the Celtics have been built on wings. And and that's normally a good thing. Wings in, like a good airline. They're built on wings. Sorry. That is the worst fucking joke <laughs> I've heard in this podcast history. Um That's but, the worst joke made by me. I think it's like in terms of a ranking top ten worst jokes, I think it's you get the top eight spots. That's probably fair. But yeah, I mean, the the Celtics have been built on wings, and normally that's a good thing. But sometimes, especially deep in the playoffs, like you just need a guy who's huge. <laughs> and Ennis Cantor doesn't fill that role. No, because Ennis Cantor has so many defensive limitations that he doesn't count. Someone who's huge and can defend. Bam Adebayo did whatever he wanted against the Celtics. Giannis, had the Celtics played him, would have been so tough because he's just a physical force. Anthony Davis would have been way taller, way longer than anyone on the Celtics roster. And at some point, that matters. And it it may not matter enough. Um, It may not matter enough to go away from some of the wings that the Celtics have built. But... And it's obvious that the Celtics front office has decided for the most part like to avoid handing out resources to centers unless that center is like Al Horford. But like at some point, you do need that huge dude. And and that matters. And we, we saw it with the Lakers. Like Anthony Davis in game one against the Miami Heat was just Pretty good. torturing Miami because – He's too big and too athletic, and there's no Anthony Davis that the Celtics. Yeah, that's the get. problem. It's like, where is this huge dude who is also super athletic? It's like it's it's a dime a dozen to use an old timey phrase, but like there's just not that many guys. All that's being said, like Daniel Tice still will be on the team next year. He's got a five million dollar contract. And at the Tice Celtics. is good. Tice is and good. Tice is good. He's not as good as Bam Adebayo. He's not as good as Anthony Davis. It's like it's easy to say you need a big guy who can do all these things, but I just don't know where you like where those guys exist. It's just there's not a lot of just like super athletic people who are over six ten who can play uh, are skilled offensively and play great defense. There's just it's very limited list. You can't just. I mean, the Celtics should have drafted Bam. I guess like I don't know where unless you get him via that person via the I draft mean, they drafted Tatum in that draft I'm, I'm not sure they should have drafted Bam they should have figured it out I'm doing just a classic fan uh they just should have got guys like that you know um <laughs> but like it's it's gonna be difficult I'm assuming right now this is all hypothetical that they um they keep Hayward he opts in uh they keep Tice Cantor has a player option he's going to stay Pretty much after that, they're pretty limited to adding to the roster except for their three draft picks 
uh, in the first round. And then they would basically have one guy they can sign to the mid-level exception, which is actually something I knew without looking at uh, Danger Cards blog post. But beyond that, it's like they're pretty much running it back. Like, I don't know nearly enough about this draft. We'll have some draft experts on later uh, in the offseason to kind of see who the Celtics can get. But they, the pick values are not great. Everything you hear about the draft class is like, oh, it's not as talented. Uh, but I have no idea how to assess that. But you just it's hard to know who the players are especially when they don't have a college basketball season. So a lot of these evaluations are coming from uh, high school or earlier college basketball seasons. But having picked 14, 26, and 30, um, not great. I mean, you certainly can hit on guys. We've seen players like emerge in the second round, like Draymond Green and Chris Middleton. But then we've also seen uh, the Celtics draft in those positions and get um, Jared Sullinger and Fab Mello. And so – it feels like a crapshoot towards the end of the draft. I don't know who's going to be available to them at pick 14, but how good do you feel about the Celtics roster basically going into next year? Uh, essentially the same, maybe absent the sturdy hand of Brad Wanamaker, who maybe for him goes, gets his money elsewhere, because I don't know if he's does like uh, is going to get paid by the Celtics. Yeah. So I, I think this is kind of the first year other than when Kyrie and Gordon Hayward were coming back from injury in the last like five, that it's made sense to just run it back and have an actual chance because Jason Tatum elevating to elite status just kind of changes the playing field for Boston and Jalen Brown getting as good as he is. Those guys are ready to compete for a long time. And the the key now that the Celtics have, you know, that top-level talent that they've been looking for for a long time is finding out how to fit the rest of the roster. And when you look at the, the roster, the, there are some obvious needs, one being shooting, especially on the bench. The Celtics were, I believe, 13th in three-point percentage this year. They were 13th in three-point attempts this year. So they're not a team that was high volume. And if they were healthy throughout the season, that that, that number would have been different. But I think another, another high-volume shooter and a good shooter for the bench would, be, would go a long way toward helping things, especially if that guy had a little bit of size. Are you telling me it's not Carson Edwards? I am... I mean, <laughs> nothing said, he showed. Said, once you said a little bit of size, that kind of took out Carson Edwards from the equation. Nothing, yeah, someone... but nothing he showed during his rookie season suggested that he's going to be an option next year. That said, like, Devontae Graham would have probably been in the same boat, and Devontae Graham became an option. So guys develop in different ways. Carson Edwards was a sh- shooter and a scorer at Purdue. Maybe he'll be a shooter and scorer again. Maybe he'll grow he six was, inches. He was not a shooter during his rookie season at either the G League or the NBA level. Oh, he shot it at the G League. It didn't go in at a high percentage, but he got up shots. Um, do you think there's any chance of like any surprise, like Grant Williams – Playoff Grant three point shooting like I don't know if he's ever going to become a high volume shooter, but that's ideally 
the kind of size you would want um, to kind of fit in with the Celtics. You want someone who basically can shoot threes, but still allow them to go small. Uh, and basically someone who's able to guard fives. How much, I guess, development can you expect from Grant with regards to, I just, do you see ever see him being like a 38% three point shooter for a season? I mean, maybe in like the way PJ Tucker is where teams leave him open most of the time. <laughs> maybe if purpose. teams just don't, don't guard him. But yeah, I mean, there are some guys who are out there to score and there are other guys who are out there to defend. I think Grant falls into the latter category for sure. He, uh, he had promising signs in the playoffs. Promising signs. Um, Maybe if he just hangs out at Kemba's house all offseason and Kemba just feeds him in the corner. Like, that's really all they need is just need more consist- like, consistent guys off the bench. But it's like, if not Grant, if not Carson Edwards, I, it's just going to be difficult to see where exactly they get that shooting from. They have the kind of mid-level exception, but it's difficult they are kind of locked into what I they love, have. I love how you're wondering if Grant Williams can just be a, a, a knockdown shooter. Well, I, as a guy, I'm looking for options for three-point shooting off the bench. That's my primary target. It's just Grant improving because what? who else are they going to go after? I mean, Celtics Twitter loves Davis Bertans, but I don't know if you're going to get Davis Bertans for a one – like or, for the mid-level exception. It kind of limits how much you're money. Not you getting, you're not getting Bertans for the taxpayer mid-level. Just so, who well, like you're basically limits the talent you're able to bring in because it's lower money. I don't know where else you're going to get the guy, the exact guy who fits the roster. Maybe this is all pointing to uh, a Gordon Hayward trade, making it more likely. Uh, crazy idea that I've seen suggested on Twitter. I think it's dumb, but I just want to confirm with you any chances they trade Kemba Walker? Uh, probably not. And should they trade Kemba Walker? Should they entertain it? He is the oldest player. He had his knee issues. He's owed uh, basically the same amount of money as Gordon Hayward and has a longer contract than Gordon Hayward. I think that given how Tatum progressed as a playmaker and scorer and number one option, maybe the, the best fit for next to him would be someone with more size, uh, not necessarily someone who's like like a a firecracker playmaker himself, like Kemba Walker. Ooh, a firecracker playmaker. Yeah, I don't know where that came from, but but I also think if if both those guys come back and and Tatum, what he did as a third year pro in the playoffs was crazy. When you look at the stats, twenty five. Point seven points, I think it was, 10 rebounds and five assists. The list of guys to have ever done that in the playoffs at any age is like 75% MVPs. It's like Larry Bird, um, Charles Barkley. It's um, That's about it. That's pretty o- much the list. Oscar Robertson. Like, Not bad. Like just, just an outrageous crop of, of players. So... He's on track to be really freaking good. Having Kemba next to him probably isn't ideal because, like I said, you'd rather have someone with more size, maybe someone who plays more off ball. But Kemba offensively can be a really good fit with Tatum. And I think Kemba needs to extend his range a little bit. If you look at the numbers, his range, his numbers tailed off as soon as he got 
beyond 25 feet away from the basket, which is like where some of these guys are just getting super comfortable with shooting the long threes. Kemba hasn't done that yet. I think that's a big part of it, but he can play off ball. He can play on ball. I think offensively he can be a great fit next to Tatum. It's it's defense that that he needs to continue to develop. And I didn't think he was like that bad except for some stretches against Dragic during the Heat series. Um, like I thought he held up pretty well against Butler. I thought, if anything, the Celtics' biggest failure during that matchup was sending too much help and kind of breaking down their defense in, in other ways. So, well, that's the thing. He's a short individual. I mean, he—I am taller than he is. You're, you can't—you can't teach height. You can't like have him grow. You can't have him wear like lifts in his shoes. He's going to be nothing. He's going to be the same height next year. I think trading him, you're just never going to get back equal value for him whatsoever. I think trading like our teams. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. They run it back. The team was quite good. They were two wins away from the finals, and I'm pretty sure Kemba Walker was not 100% healthy, and I know that Gordon Hayward was not 100% healthy. It feels like they have a solid core, uh, and there are things that you can improve along the margins, but, I mean, they were a very solid team this year who, if they just learn how to not turn the ball over in the clutch, we're probably still talking about their season right now, and so... I know the fan perspective is like, we got to do something. We got to make a trade. Got to blow it up. I mean, I saw takes saying that the Marcus Smart's to blame and they have to trade Marcus Smart. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Shouts to uh, my old boss, Christian Fourier, WEI, for saying that one. Um, that's just absolute insanity. Uh, that is a great, great radio take. I'm sure that got people quote tweeting it, got the uh, phone lines uh, jacked up. That's what you do uh, if you want to get people incensed, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Marcus Smart is the heart and soul of the team. He makes about $13 million a year, which is an amazing value contract. Trading him would be the dumbest thing ever. They were, I would be leading the revolt, the picket of TD Garden, uh, with a fire Danny Ainge, uh, just picket sign. It's dumb. I'm not even going to entertain it, but... We'll dive into this a lot more. We'll talk about this a lot more uh, going through the offseason. There's so many rumors uh, that will pop up. Um, we'll get a much better idea of the free agency landscape once the season's actually over. But we do still have basketball left to play. And um, my question to you, Jay, is what is happening to heat culture with all of these injuries? Like, you, you would think a team so well-conditioned wouldn't have so many uh, injuries in game one of the finals. That game one was just awful, awful. And it, this this could be one of the worst final series in NBA history. It's that the game one was an absolute mismatch. Not for the first five minutes, though. The Heat came out and threw their best punch. Yeah. If Dragic, I mean, Dragic is going to be out, it seems like for a long time it's including the rest back including the rest break your foot <laughs> yeah so this this series is over it it was probably over before it started but it's it's over which which is too bad it would have been fun to watch a competitive series but the, i mean the without Dragic, the the heat don't have a lot of depth 
Like they they're playing Solomon Hill already. There's there's really not much they can do. I, they don't really have another point guard. Jimmy Butler, I guess. Tyler Hero, I guess. Kendrick yeah. Nunn dropped eighteen. Yeah, um, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's. I mean, it was a disappointing disappointing game one for my those of us who wanted competitive basketball. My biggest takeaway was. Um, Wow, Anthony Davis is very good at basketball, and there's not much you can do to try and stop him. I was shocked that the Spolstra, the coaching genius, the best coach ever, no one has ever underrated him ever, Eric Spolstra, tried to go small against Anthony Davis because he just absolutely picked him apart. And it's just like, oh, wow, when you have uh, probably one of the top five players in the league and LeBron James... It's a pretty good basketball team. Um, I just don't know uh, how the Heat come back. I know I just it's been it's weird to kind of say that and just after watching the Heat kind of very much outplay the Celtics uh, because I still still in my brain's heart think the Celtics are a more talented team, but the Lakers are definitely a more talented team with uh, Anthony Davis. He's just unstoppable. At this point, I'm just rooting for him. Uh, to win finals MVP over LeBron just to have some pure anti-LeBron feelings. But um, now I'm going to start pivoting to say that this Lakers championship doesn't count because it's fake because of the bubble. <laughs> That's, I mean, the Lakers. They is there going to be an asterisk on this season? I would there, think so. I think there would have to be. There should be no asterisk, Jim. What are you talking about? The, it's this season has lasted a year. An asterisk just denotes that is different than normal, and I think this season has been different than normal. So, in the history books, you're going to look down to 2020, and there's going to be a little star at the top, and just so people will know, it's not a normal championship. That's all I'm saying. I just don't think it should count. Is what I'm trying to say. I'm not. I'm not on board <laughs> with that. I'm not on board with that. But I also think the, all this stuff about how the Lakers have gone through more adversity than any team needs to stop. It just needs to stop. I've, I've seen a lot of articles out there just talking about how much the Lakers have been through. I mean, just stop reading Ramona Shelburne and I think you'll stop hearing the Lakers propaganda. Um, I know you're not going to be willing to say any of those things, but the, it's kind of bizarre how much NBA media revolves around LA. And then like, because of that, like, the kind of LA storylines get like talked up. The Lakers have been through as much adversity as any other team. I don't know how much you can factor the Kobe Bryant tragic death into things, but it just doesn't seem like that's a relevant point in the bubble many months afterwards of that happening. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too insensitive here, but no, the Lakers are winning because they have two of the five best players in basketball and it's there's just nothing we don't need more than that. Yeah. They're, having overwhelming size matters. And I think the the league has obviously gotten smaller and and more skilled, but like size size matters. And for the Lakers, obviously their their size they is have, skilled. Their yes, size they have is Anthony skilled. Davis. He's so big and so good and now can shoot forty percent from three, which doesn't make any sense. Like, he was a 33% three-point shooter throughout the year. Now in the bubble, he's shooting 40%. Something's up. Some, I don't know if he is um, 
on some sort of human growth hormone. I don't know at this point. I'm just throwing out rampant speculation because, frankly, I just don't want to hear about the Lakers winning another championship, but I've accepted it as inevitable at this point. The, now the Lakers can claim that they have just as many titles as the Boston Celtics, which it's fun to get in the debate. It's like, oh, five of those titles uh, were in Minneapolis, so they shouldn't count. If you're a Celtics fan and you're it's like, that's the point you're hanging your hat on, you're like, why does it, why does it matter that like the Celtics won 11 titles in the 50s and 60s? Like, I don't get why there's just like this a penis measuring contest with like how many titles each organization has won. Does it even matter? Like we're talking about right now, this year in the year 2020 in the bubble, the Lakers are the better team. Does it matter what happened is like, is there like a representation of who you are as a person that the, like the team you chose to root for has 17 and the team that someone in Los Angeles chose to root for is 17. It's just the most meaningless thing in the world. And I just, I'm not here for just like measuring the ring competitions. You you are not about counting them rings. What? Okay. It's pointless. It's a pointless endeavor. So we are recording this at 9. We started recording at 9 in the morning. Danny Ainge has a press conference at 10. By the time this gets published, Danny Ainge's comments will be out there. Let's let's predict what Danny Ainge is going to say so that the people could can know how, how on point we were. Um, all right. He's going to say it was a real good year. He was proud of his guys. They just didn't like execute. And I don't think they played as well as they wanted to, but he's really proud of their effort. Um, they're going to evaluate everything in the off season. Um, cause that's what they always do. Every, like no stone unturned. That's the, they, they wouldn't be doing their jobs otherwise. Um, and then he's going to be very noncommittal about Gordon Hayward's, contract is going to we'll, we'll talk about Gordon with that but it's ultimately his decision um same thing with Ennis Cantor uh and then just talk about all the guys they're evaluating the draft and they'll, they'll always be making deals always be looking to answer every, all the phone calls but um everything's on the table for Danny Ainge at this point <laughs> that sounds that sounds just about right yeah you know with with the three first round picks We'll look to move up. We'll look to move down. We'll evaluate all our options. We might Jason, we might stash someone overseas. It could happen, but we don't know at this point. Jason Tatum had a, a really good year. Uh, if you look at our roster, you know, maybe maybe shooting would be something we'd like to add this summer, but it all depends on what you can get. Uh, one thing he said on, on Toucher and Rich, I think it was this morning, was that he thought the game three loss to Toronto became a big one because that made that into a really, really tough series. And I and would have, that is correct. <laughs> and when you, when you really look back and, and think about that, like if the Celtics had just gotten one stop on the last play of game three, then that's a quick series and they don't have to run up their minute totals. They don't have to get tired Maybe Kemba looks a little fresher. Maybe he can do a little bit more on offense. Maybe they have more time for Gordon Hayward. There's so many what-ifs. But, yeah, that was a huge, huge turning point because that turns from probably a five-game series to seven-game series after a double overtime in game six. Um, Yeah, still pretty heartbreaking. I remember uh, that shot. Um, I hate Raptors fans now. I followed a lot of them on Twitter. They're still talking about that shot. It's 
uh, it was huge. Do you think yet Danny Ainge talks about that at all? Uh, like, what do you? Let's get into the mind of a reporter right now. You got 17 minutes till that press conference. What are you wanting to learn from Danny Ainge? I mean, if, if he would be honest about things and open about things, there there would be a lot of questions. But just just kind of looking has he, for has he so broken your soul as a reporter for his uh, not being revealing information that you're like you don't even want to ask questions at this point? Yeah, sometimes sometimes Danny will reveal some some information about what what types of things he's looking to accomplish in the off season. I think if you read the tea leaves, you can kind of get what's going on. But this year, I think a lot of it is pretty self-explanatory. Like there's. All right. There's... Let's, let's play another game of who's going to ask him about the Tatum contract extension. I'm oh, going with. I was not going to be my guess. It's absolutely going to be B Rob. Uh, he's going to say, uh, any any updates regarding uh, the Tatum extension? That was my good B Rob impression. <laughs> and then he'll just say no. And, nope. Uh, we'll talk about Jason when it's appropriate, but we're you know going to let these guys get through their off season. It's been a lot right now, and you know we'll come back and definitely we're interested in signing Jason long term, and it's definitely something we'll talk about. But uh, we'll we'll let Jason uh, kind of come to us or something like that. But definitely a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, all all that good stuff. All that good stuff. It's Are you be disappointed that only Danny is doing an exit interview? Normally, they, we get one from each individual player where they all say the same platitudes. Uh, are you disappointed it's going to be consolidated into one guy? Actually, so exit interviews is normally the just an awful, awful day because it's always the day after the season ends. And like last year, the final game – was it in Mil- it was in Milwaukee, right? No, it was in Boston. Brad immediately walked out and was like, I think it was didn't they lose in five? Yeah. And they were the lesser seed. So no, it was in Milwaukee. Yeah, well it doesn't matter. Go yeah, for so, it. So basically we, we fly home in the morning and go straight to the practice facility. And we haven't really slept because we've been up all night working on stories and then we sit there and literally sit there all day at the practice facility, just waiting for guys to come out of their meetings with Danny Ainge and ownership or Brad or whoever the hell they meet with. And it is the worst fucking day. It is the longest day. It is the end of a long season and you're just so tired and exhausted. And then you have to write a bunch of stories where you're just like, yep, these guys are disappointed in how it ended, but they're looking to come back next year. Yeah, but but at the same time, like those are helpful. It would be nice to ask Ennis Cantor questions about what he intends to do with his player option. It would be nice to ask Gordon Hayward about what he intends to do with his player option. And those guys may not answer those questions directly, but at least you start to get a feel for what's going on. So I I, I miss the worst day of the year in in some ways. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got through this. I'm glad we uh, were able to do this. Tune in for our next episode to see if our predictions about Danny Ainge were correct. Maybe we'll learn some some bombshell things. Who knows what uh, will happen with regards to free agency or trades or anything like that. If anything happens, tune in here to Anything is Potable, and we will break it all down. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you like us, please subscribe. Five stars. I know I say this most episodes, but it really helps us. We had a lot of good growth after the postseason, and so uh, hope to keep on rocking uh, through the offseason. We don't even know when the new season is going to begin, but we will be here throughout it all. Um, and so thank you guys for listening to this episode of 
Anything is possible!